This episode is brought to you by EarthBreeze, the one New Year's resolution I've ever been able to stick to. It's completely transformed my laundry experience. Gone are the big, heavy plastic jugs, the measuring out of detergent every time. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze wash sheet. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze eco sheet. It looks just like a dryer sheet, except it's slightly less dry. It's ultra concentrated detergent. I throw it in the wash and that's it. Never think about it again. Laundry comes out great, clean, fresh smelling, no harmful chemicals or bleaches or dyes or anything in there. If you want to change up your laundry game this year, right now my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled, that's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. This is part four of a six-part series. If you've missed the first few episodes, go back and listen so you'll be caught up on the story to this point. In today's episode, we're going to look at how solid of a case the crabbers might have and what exactly Big Oil knew and when. Previously on Drilled. In the end, you know, you have to stand on principle that you believe in. That's what I was taught. And so if I separate all that from the facts of the lawsuit and what they're trying to achieve, I believe it's the right thing to do. Just as West Coast crab fishermen were getting their first real taste of what a future with climate change would be like, media reports were revealing that some people, at least, had known this was coming for a while. Exxon scientists understood the mechanisms and consequences of human-caused climate change as early as the late 1970s and early 1980s. This is the story of two industries, one struggling to survive, the other the most powerful in human history. The outcome of their battle may well dictate what path we take in dealing with climate change. I'm Amy Westervelt, and this is Drilled Season 2, Hot Water. New Year's resolutions are almost destined to fail. I resolve almost every year to work less, and we all know it's not going to (laughs) happen. But one thing I have been able to stick to, and you can too, is switching up the way you do laundry in 2024 and grabbing Earth Breeze. I know you're thinking laundry is not so fun. Those huge, heavy plastic jugs measuring out the right amount, getting goo all over the place. It's annoying. EarthBreeze Eco Sheets totally changed the game. Unlike powder or liquid, EarthBreeze actually looks like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent. And it's super easy. You just throw it into your laundry and that's it. There's no measuring, there's no lugging anything around. Your laundry comes out clean. It smells great. I love it. It's genuinely made my life easier. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, free of bleach and dyes. So it's perfect for every load. You'll never run out of detergent again, thanks to EarthBreeze's easy, flexible subscription. You can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Plus shipping is always free and Eco Sheets are packaged in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. 
It also gets rid of one more plastic thing in your life. And the company has donated over a hundred million loads of laundry and counting to those in need. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. 40, 40. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E.com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. Reports from Inside Climate News, the Los Angeles Times, and the Columbia Journalism School began revealing internal memos from Exxon scientists confirming throughout the 1970s that climate change was happening, that human emissions were contributing to it, and that the impacts would be catastrophic if changes weren't made. As we covered in season one, initially Exxon employed scientists to study the problem. The thinking was that maybe being part of the research would be a good way to influence any regulations that might emerge. Former Exxon scientist Ed Garvey explained the company's approach to me last year. I mean, Exxon at the time, there was Exxon Nuclear, there was Exxon Coal, there was Exxon Solar. And and at the time, Exxon was trying to be an energy company, not an oil company. And so being taken seriously at the fossil fuel discussions was to their mind, and I think it made sense to me at the time that, yeah, this is how you would do it if you want to be seen as not just being an industry hack that says, we don't want you to regulate our industry, period. You need to be saying, oh, yeah, we recognize that this is a problem and this is how we think you should solve it. And these are the these are the things that are going on and so on and so forth. And we've, we're making real contributions here. But by the early 1980s, the research efforts were being shut down and the company, along with the broader industry, was shifting toward denial. They began spending an increasing amount of money on advertising and PR campaigns that underscored the uncertainty of the science. At the same time, they began investing in protecting their own pipelines and platforms from climate change. And it's here that the crabbers, like Ben Platt, really have a problem. You know, I think what it boils down to for me is that I've done everything I could do as a fossil fuel burning boat operator, commercial fisherman to minimize my carbon footprint. I spent a lot of money, let's see, six years ago now to put in one of the newer tier engines. I got a grant for some of it. And so I took four months off in the middle of my crab season and repowered and spent about $65,000 of my own money. And I have the least polluting, most efficient diesel engine you can have in a fishing boat right now. It's all computer electronically controlled. I didn't even want to do that because if you're a commercial fisherman, 
on the high seas, computer electronic controls scare you because if something goes wrong, we can't fix it. We've modernized our equipment at a lot of our own expense and time because we're trying to have as little of a carbon footprint as possible. We're doing whatever we can, but there's only so much that we can do. We're not the fossil fuel companies. We're not the big energy companies. We're not scientists. We can't figure out how to make a hydrogen cell or something that'll power our boats. We're just using what's available. Ben is someone who has accepted that climate change is happening and that humans are a big part of the problem for a long time. Fellow California crabber Lori French isn't so sure. She's told me a few times about dinosaurs and various periods of natural change, and particularly what was happening when Henry VIII was around. We're kind of both of the opinion that climate change has happened since the beginning of time. I mean, if you look at, okay, A, the dinosaurs. But then during Henry, I think it was Henry VIII's time, they went through a um, mini uh, ice age. Seeing what the oil industry knew and when, and what they did with that information, has shifted her view a bit. Yeah, I would say there's some definite exacerbation. But ultimately, it kind of doesn't matter. For Lori, it's less about climate change and more about fairness. The idea that everyone should be dealing with the same information. That people and markets shouldn't be manipulated. That most people and companies are at least trying to do the right thing. And I would like to think that most people operate on an honest playing field, but they don't. And I don't know why I still keep getting surprised by that. I just do. Seeing the disconnect between what oil execs were saying to each other and what they were saying to the public shifted her worldview a lot. Like it goes against my little Pollyanna work. It's like you're doing something that you know can cause harm, but you're still putting it for the money. That's not how the game is played. Except it is how the game is played, or at least how it has been played. For a long time, even crabbers like Ben, who were very on board with the need to do something about climate change, were more of the everyone needs to change their light bulbs and drive less school of thought. But the more they learned about how oil companies handled the information scientists were giving them, the more that idea shifted. After having studied all the the background information, I come to the conclusion that the fossil fuel companies knew about the warming of the climate. They knew the effect it would have on the ocean. And they had all this information a long time ago and they didn't share it with the public because it would have affected their bottom line. This week, Drilled partnered with a fun and fascinating quick hits science podcast called Everyday Einstein. It's hosted by astrophysicist Dr. Sabrina Steerwalt, who explains complicated scientific concepts in quick eight to 10 minute episodes that make the complex accessible. She answers questions like, how can you tell if your tap water is safe to drink? And clears up common areas of confusion, like whether wormholes really exist. And just like the drilled team, Dr. Steerwalt is committed to debunking misinformation about the scientific concepts shaping our world. She's done episodes on everything from why vaccines bolster herd immunity to how we know climate change is linked to more intense extreme weather events. It's a great show and you're bound to learn something new, including tips on how to explain this stuff to other people. Find Everyday Einstein on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, back to the show. The notion of personal responsibility and of demand driving the energy market entirely is a narrative cooked up by the fossil fuel industry. The old, hey, we're just supplying a demand defense. And it's been incredibly effective. Much of the conversation on climate change still centers around what individuals can do. 
not the systemic changes necessary to shift the world away from carbon-based economies. Seeing the research and internal communications of oil companies and their trade groups, the strategies laid out to confuse the science and promote already debunked theories, that tends to shift the focus back to those in power for most people. And so last year, the Pacific Coast Federation of Fisheries Associations decided to sue the country's 30 largest fossil fuel producers. Names like ExxonMobil, Chevron, Shell. I think that there are three separate things that people really kind of sit up and take notice of. That's Vic Scher, the attorney representing the Crabbers. He's a tall, white-haired guy with a deep movie narrator voice. He's been litigating against oil companies for decades. First is what the industry knew when. And that starts really with the 60s, with an acknowledgement of the problem, internal memos, recommendations to the boards, comments from Exxon scientists, for example, to the board level, saying we have a narrow window of opportunity before hard choices have to be made. And that was in the late 70s that that comment was made. Second thing is, especially post-1988, the overwhelming communication strategy, which is founded on the perpetuation or the promulgation of doubt. So a deliberate strategy to get people to believe that the science is uncertain to justify action and related. And memos come out from the American Petroleum Institute and some of the other groups where the specific strategy is laid out of convincing the public that there's sufficient doubt that we shouldn't act. And then the third thing is at the same time that there's this public promulgation of doubt, you have internally the companies making enormous investments in their own infrastructure and planning for the future. So, for example, raising the levels of offshore oil platforms to account for sea level rise, strengthening them to account for increased storm severity, and investing in the technology to access a warming and melting Arctic. When I asked Vic whether anything was surprising to him about what those documents or cases have revealed, he pointed immediately to what scientists call the Great Acceleration. We have a situation today where half of all of the emissions from coal, oil, and gas have occurred since 1988 or 1989 in history. And the annual rate of increase of the use of those compounds has gone up by over 60% since 1990. So we're talking about a recent phenomenon completely tied to a single industry during a period of knowledge and, as the documents that we have so far show, culpability. So as knowledge of climate change increased, so too did emissions. And while oil companies took the necessary precautions to raise platforms and protect pipelines, the crabbers, like most other people in the world, were led to believe that the science was too uncertain to justify major investments in change. The crabbers' legal complaint alleges that since oil companies knew their product was harmful and didn't warn people, they're at least partly financially liable for the consequences. So one of the fundamental obligations that the law imposes on a manufacturer of a product is that if they know that there's a danger associated with the use of the product, they have to give a warning about it. And that warning has to be proportionate to the severity of the risk and the injury that they know accompanies it. So we're not talking about fine print hidden away where nobody will see it. If you know that your product is going to destroy the world, you have to be yelling that from the mountaintops frequently and 
constantly even. This is not the first time commercial fishermen have taken on oil companies, of course. In the wake of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, which cost the fishing industry there tens of millions of dollars, a suit against BP resulted in a multi-billion dollar settlement. But this is the first case to take on warming oceans as opposed to spills. And it aims to hold oil companies responsible for their role in both contributing to climate change and slowing or even halting action on it. The crabbers hold oil companies liable not only for the lost income from 2015, the first year of the outbreak, but every year since. They also want oil companies to cover the cost of a simple solution freshwater tanks on the dock of every crab port. Apparently, when crabs soak in fresh water for a day or so, domoic acid is cleared. But these tanks cost a few million dollars and the crabbers just don't have it, especially after a few rough seasons in a row. Noah Oppenheim heads up the Pacific Coast Federation of Fisheries Associations, which has taken on the suit on behalf of its members. It's a trade association that brings together all of the coast fisheries groups and acts as a sort of a labor union for the West Coast fishermen. Fishermen aren't allowed to unionize, so their trade associations lobby for policies beneficial to the fisheries. They also negotiate for fair prices with buyers and sometimes organize strikes when those negotiations don't work. It's crystal clear that prevailing ocean conditions in 2015 and 2016 and and since have been driven by destabilizing atmospheric forces uh, and ocean circulation dynamics have been changing because of climate change. It's indisputable. The the fossil fuel industry doesn't dispute the science. What they dispute is whether they're culpable, but liability law makes it clear their negligence and the nuisance, the harm that they've caused to our members, the commercial fishermen who've been impacted by this, they are liable and we're holding them to account. We're going to make them pay. A lawsuit, and particularly an environmental lawsuit, is not any grabber's first choice. But for Ben, it feels like the only tool left. The way I look at this lawsuit is that it's our industry doing our part to try to do something about climate change. In this country, if you've tried to legislate change, if you've tried to elect leaders that would, you know, for a while we had a leader that was more interested in the environment, executive director of this country, and now we have one that's the opposite. So if you're someone that's concerned about climate change and the effect that it's having on your world, and in our case, on one of our main fisheries, then what's our last option in this country? Our last redress is courts. So it's the appropriate thing to do. It may be far-fetched that we could win this lawsuit, but I do think it's a worthy cause. Down at the dock in San Francisco, Larry Collins says he's been seeing the impacts of climate change up close for years, and it's time to do something about it. Do I think it's pie in the sky? No. I think we need to start doing something. We have a long road ahead of us, and if we don't start, we're never going to get there. I'm old. It's not about me. But I do have grandchildren, and it is about them. And I see things, you know, I see the tides coming up higher. I mean, it's squirting through the parking lot down at the wharf. And I never saw that before. You get these king tides, pretty soon the valley's going to be underwater. I'm going to see that in my lifetime. It's easy for the old people to do nothing. You know, the young people are worried as well they should be. And if the young people can kick the old people in the ass 
and get him to do something, then maybe we got a shot at fixing it. But no matter how much crabbers feel like they're doing the right thing, there's no guarantee they'll win. In fact, they're the underdog, but they're pretty used to that. Next time on Drilled, we'll get into why it's such a big deal that this small industry is suing big oil and what it means for other industries that also depend on natural resources. There are so many other renewable industries, industries that can persist forever as long as we we have a habitable planet, uh, that will be damaged irrevocably if we don't fix this problem, if we don't stop right now the rampant combustion of fossil fuels. We'll be back with another episode in this series next week, but if you can't wait until then, or you just want to support independent climate reporting, consider becoming a Drilled member. Just go to drilled.supportingcast.fm to sign up. That's drilled.supportingcast, S-U-P-P-O-R-T-I-N-G-C-A-S-T dot F-M, F like Frank, M like Mary, to sign up. Thanks for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Drilled is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. The show was created and reported by me, Amy Westervelt. Rekha Murthy is our editorial advisor. And additional editing for this series was done by Julia Ritchie. The series was mixed by Bill Lance. Music by Elliot Peltzman. Season 2 cover art was drawn by Angela Shea. Drilled is supported in part by a generous grant from the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. You can listen and subscribe to Drilled on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. It helps us find more listeners and combat pesky climate deniers. Visit our website, drilledpodcast.com, for behind-the-scenes photos and additional information about this series. You can also drop us a tip or story idea there and sign up for our newsletter. Or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Amy Westervelt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.